I'm Pastor Brent. I'm one of your pastors. And um, this morning, we are finishing up a series in the book of Psalms. And um, we did, uh, Jamie wanted a break, so we did a six series of Psalms of Jesus. And this will be the last Psalm of Jesus. And since you have four pastors and we had six Sundays, that necessitated that two of us would have to do two which this is kind of weird for me because, you know, I'll give the message once, twice, maybe three times a year, but to give it twice in three weeks. And I think I got the short stick because Steve, <laughs> Pastor Steve said that um, you have to do it again until you get the, the earpiece right. So if you remember two weeks ago, I was struggling with technology. So I'm also your oldest pastor, if that tells you anything. So... Um, so in wrapping up this series about the Psalms of Jesus, I wanted to go back over just briefly. And um, what did we learn over this series? And the things that I wrote down that I, I got from each um, sermon was, God does not change. God is our lasting peace. Jesus takes us home. God is faithful. Jesus is the thirst for our soul. And then finally today, I hope to show you that salvation is of the Lord. We are looking at Psalm 15, and as I jumped into Psalm 15, it is 100% Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. And, um, but to put it in context, this is right after Psalms 14. And then we need to just briefly look at Psalm 14 for a second, because they go together. Um, Psalm 14 actually talks about the ungodly, and I want to read a couple verses. This, uh, Psalm 14 starts out, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. None. Psalm 14, that's starts out just really heavy. Something else Jamie talked about the first series was Psalms are about emotions. And I just read 14 in the emotions that where is the hope? None follow off after God. But Psalm 14 ends with this. Oh, that the salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of His people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. He ends it with hope. And that hope is all of Psalm 15. So that's what we'll be this morning. But before we jump into that, I need to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we, we come and join with each other to learn about You, to lift our voices, to say thank You for the many blessings that You give us. And we just want to say, great are you, Lord, and most worthy of our praise. And there's no greater honor than to be able to come week after week and to sit under the teaching of your word, Lord. So I ask you, Lord, as, as you speak this morning, that it would be you speaking and not Brent. Once again, I have nothing to give these people, Lord, but you have everything. So I ask you, Lord, that you would... Rend the hearts of every person in here, including myself. 
that you have the words of salvation. You have the words of life. I ask that you guard my lips that nothing that would be unpleasing would pass through. And if there's something that I was not prepared to say, but somebody here needs to say it, please allow that to be said. Once again, Lord, you are most worthy of our praise. We just praise this in the name of Jesus. Okay. So, again, Psalm 15, it's all about Jesus. And the structure of the psalm is actually, he starts out with a question. Who shall sojourn in the tents? And then the next four verses, it's only five verses, gives the answer to that. So, uh, hopefully this morning we, we can answer all those questions. And let's, uh, I'll start out, I'm going to read the verse, and then we'll just jump in verse by verse and kind of uh, break it down. Psalm 15, starting with verse 1, a psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So again, we start out with the question. What is that question? David asked, Who can sojourn in your tent? Who can dwell in your holy hill? Well, this is a very Jewish uh, psalm, which is not surprised since all the Old Testament is about uh, Judaism. But we need to dig into that a, a, a little bit and um, to get the full understanding. And so, when it says, who can sojourn in your tent? Why does he use those words? Well, first, what is the tent? Another word for the tent is the tabernacle. So, when Jesus, excuse me, when God took out, well, Jesus is God, so I can say that too. So, when God... Uh, took Israel out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, the first thing he did was, was set up a tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the way that they could approach uh, God. That was the, the presence of God where they can see physically. Also very interesting, everything set up about the tabernacle or the tent pointed to Jesus. So, so when they were in the uh, sojourning in the desert for 40 years, they were in the presence of Jesus that whole time. But why does he also use the word sojourn or to travel? As Christians, we're referred to as sojourners also because our home is not this earth. Our home is with heaven. So David is asking, who can travel in the presence of God. And then he says, who can dwell in your holy hill? Well, I believe they use those specific words because dwell is a more permanent word. So, 
Who can dwell in your holy hill? And what is that holy hill when he's talking about? Well, the holy hill is Jerusalem. And it's very interesting if, when you look at the, the history. We know the holy hill is where the temple was built. But if you go back into Genesis and, and read, that was also before it was in Jerusalem, was Mount Moriah, which is very significant. Because Mount Moriah is where God told Abraham to sacrifice his son before there was a Jerusalem. Mount Moriah is where Solomon built the temple. Now this said this was a psalm of David, and we know that Solomon is David's son. So he wrote this psalm before there was a physical uh, uh, temple there. And the Bible doesn't explicitly say, but many commentators believe, when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, the Bible talks about putting it on um, uh, the hill, and it doesn't specifically say Mount Moriah, but many commentators believe it is. So when he's saying, who can dwell in the holy hill? Who can permanently be in God's presence? Because the temple, for us, Jesus lives inside of us. We are the temple of the holy God. So when we put this together, who can travel in his presence? Who can dwell in, uh, in his presence? So that's what he's asking. So the whole psalm is set up to answer that question. Who can dwell in God's presence? Well, this is also a very common question in the New Testament. If we look in Luke chapter 10, verse starting verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? And how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So the answer to what David was asking, who can dwell in God's presence, the same was asked in the New Testament. And the answer's been the same since the beginning. What was that answer? Basically, he says, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. So have the right relationship with God, and you will have the right relationship with your neighbor or with each other. So that is what's expressed in Psalm 15. So when he asks, Lord, who shall sojourn in your tents? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Who can dwell in God's presence? And then the next four verses explain that. So if we just look at them real briefly, it's saying, be blameless, do what is right, have perfect speech, it does no evil, love what is good, always be honest, be financially responsible, and treat others with integrity. Well, there you go. It's that easy. <laughs> but when I realize it, I don't know about you, but I fall short in every one of those categories. Now, I want to go back to the emotion part. In the Old Testament, they were right with God through Jesus, through the sacrificial system. And when they were going up the holy hill to bring their sacrifice, they knew they fell short. 
but they were able to put their sacrifice on the temple, on, on, on the altar, and then be right with the Lord. So they have that emotion. They're going to the temple to be right with the Lord, and they know that. But what about in the New Testament? I read this, and I'm overwhelmed by my own guilt. So they have that knowledge they're going to the temple. So how do we go to the temple? Well, let's pick up in verse 2, because the rest of the psalm tells us. It says, you are to walk blameless. He who walks blamelessly does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. So how do we walk blamelessly? Well, it's interesting, as I said, all this points to Jesus. When I, you look at the base word of blameless, it means to be complete, to be whole. How are you whole with God? How are you complete in God? That same word blameless, the same word is used in Exodus 12, 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And this was when, during the Exodus, there were, God was removing them from Egypt. In the Exodus, they were to take a, the male sheep, one year old, and at midnight, they were to sacrifice it, take the blood, put it on the doorstep, and the angel of death would pass over them. Remember reading that in Exodus? So even what David is writing is, He who walks blamelessly, your lamb shall be without blameless, without blemish. The same word. It's already pointing to Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. So for the Jewish believer, they were justified, as I talked about, by keeping the law of the sacrifice. But what does that mean to us? Hebrews 9.22 tells us, Indeed, under the law, that Mosaic law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's how God would make a sinner right. In the Old Testament, the lamb would have to be killed, and that sinner could be right with God. But how can I, as a New Testament believer, needing a sacrifice, how can I die by the remission by the shedding of blood for the remission of my sin and still stay alive. That's where Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, came in. He is the one who is blameless. So, we are, we are justified by the sacrifice of Jesus. And so when he says, he who walks blamelessly, he's looking forward to Jesus. We can walk blamelessly in Jesus. Well, he further goes on, do what is right. How can I do what is right? Well, I can read these and do what is right through my flesh, but that doesn't get me any closer to God, and I still fall short. So, what I cannot do through the law, Jesus fulfills the law. When He died on the cross, and it's said in Matthew, I do, I do not come to destroy the law, but to, to fill, fulfill the law. Jesus fulfills the fulfills the law for me. And it's Jesus who's doing what's right, not Brent. I can't do it. But when, when Jesus does it through me, then I can act right. Walk blamelessly. Do what is right. Speaks truth in his heart. 
It's interesting, you know, many theme throughout the Bible talks about the heart. And in Luke 6.25, Jesus talks about the heart. And He says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasures produce evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. Only through the new heart can we have it through Jesus. So the heart is our seat of emotion. What is ever in my heart, that's what I'm going to speak. If you want to know what's in your heart, what do you say when you get cut off on the interstate? So, but how do I change that heart? I can't change my heart. When I come to Jesus or anybody comes to Jesus, He doesn't fix your heart. He gives you a new heart. So when we need to come to Jesus for that new heart. And it's always been this way. Yes, they had the sacrificial system, but that sacrificial system was to point to you, to the Old Testament believer, where is your heart? Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. God was always after the heart. Yes, the laws were to protect them, to show them, but it's not the sacrifice that made them right with God. It was the, the broken heart of the believer realizing that they fall short. And again, in Hosea it says, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God wants the believer's heart. That is what He's looking for. So once you come to Jesus and He gives you a new heart, but we're still flesh and blood, aren't we? And it's easy to let the world creep back in and take us away from that. And I believe that's why Proverbs tells us, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You need to protect your heart. Keep. And how, how do you do that? Well, number one, you can only have that new heart through Jesus. But we're doing it right now by coming and listening to the Word of God and filling your heart with what's of the wor- what's of God and not of the world. We need to guard our heart throughout the week, just not on Sunday. Are you put- putting the Word of God in- into your heart daily? By reading? By praying? What, what uh, do you do in your spare time? Are you watching those R-rated movies? Who are you hanging out with? All those things affect your heart, and you need to gar- guard your heart to keep it pure. So I believe verse, verse 2 tells us who can be in the presence. Now that I'm blameless through Jesus and I have a new heart, how am I to do what is right? Or, let me put it in another way, what are the marks of a Christian? And that we see that 3, 4, and 5. And we are to work out well, what, what does Philippians tells us? Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's important. Let's break that down. It says, work out your salvation. It does not say work for your salvation. We already have salvation. 
Once you have salvation, you still need to work it out. My walk with Christ has not come automatically. I have to put some effort into it. But we're to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. But what's the rest of the verse says? For it is God who works in you. It's not me. It's God in me. And God gives me that desire both to will. He gives me the will to do the right thing and to work for His good pleasure. Why does He change my heart? For His good pleasure. It's not to make me a better person. Don't believe the lie in modern Christianity is uh, Jesus saved you, go and have a nice life, or it's a self-help program. No, it's for His good pleasure. Not Brent. For His good pleasure. Sorry, got a little little feisty there. (laughs) So, if it's for His good pleasure... What do we need to do? Verse 3. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend? Here's the marks of a Christian walk. Does not slander with his tongue. What does that mean? Well, don't be a tail bearer. Are you gossiping? Don't do that. To put it most simply, are you building each other up or are you tearing, tearing each other down? We're to be building each other up in the body. And does no evil to his neighbor. Well, who's our neighbor? Well, I think the story of the Good Samaritan tells us that. And I, I don't need to go there, but who is the good in the story of the Good Samaritan? Anybody you come across in life, that's our neighbor. So we're to do no evil. To, to mankind. Nor takes up reproach against his friend. And that friend, that word means more intimate relationship. The people that you hang out with, the people who influence you, your brothers and sisters, do not take up a reproach against them. Which means don't shame them nor give disgrace to them. So we're not to slander each other, um, build, build each other up. Let's be about building each other up and not tearing them down. Verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears in his own hurt and does not change. So what's he telling us here? In, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. I can put this best by saying we are to honor those who God honors and condemn the sin of the vile person. It's okay to um, despise what is vile. As Jamie prayed, abortion is vile. We can despise that. So we are to know what is good. We are to know what is evil and to stand against that evil. And, but we're to honor those who honor God. We're to honor um, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Honor those who fear the Lord. Again, who fears the Lord? Somebody who has um, subjected themselves to Jesus, your brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we look at this, let's put it another way. And the best way to put that is in Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from rivalry 
or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. How can I honor those who fear the Lord? I can think of my brother and sister of more significance than myself. If I'm serving you and you're serving me, we're serving each other for the glory of God. So, Philippians, count each other more significant than yourself. And then finally in this verse, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. I had, a, I had to read that several times to understand that. Who swears in his own, to his own hurt. So if you swear in the biblical context, you've given your word. So if I've given my word and it hurts me, I'm to do um, what my word says. Another way of putting let your yes be your yes. Keep your promises. Be a person of integrity. Have you, did somebody ask you to do something or make a commitment and you said yes and then something better comes along and you call the first person? Well, I, I'm not going to be able to make that because you had a better offer. That's not being a person of integrity. Who swears to his own hurt? I want to do the other thing, but I've already given my word. So it's going to hurt me to keep my word. So be it. That's what it means to, um, to swear by his own hurt and does not change. Be a man of integrity. And then finally, verse 5. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So is it wrong to charge interest? That's not what he's saying here. We need to go back to Leviticus. I'm going to read Leviticus 25. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and give you the land of Canaan, and to be your God. So he's saying, don't take advantage of each other. Treat them fairly. So, you know, if, if um, a brother or sister needs help, you give them help. You don't ask for anything in return. You give them help. You're not, not only your brother and sister, but in your business dealings. You don't take advantage of another person. Um, this was specifically, you know, between brothers, we're not to take interest. But, you know, in, um, in our business dealings, we can uh, take interest, but you never, ever um, uh, take advantage of that person. And it was very common in the Old, Old Testament to take advantage of the poor and the oppressed. And so don't build, don't build your empire by oppressing others, is what he's saying. Be, again, do not take a bribe. Be a man of integrity. So you do all these things, starting with being blameless, being in Christ. Um, and does what is right through Christ working through you. The final verse, he who does these things shall never be moved. 
And how, again, how do we do this? We can only do this through Christ. And through Christ, we'll never be moved. The cornerstone, that's the name of our church, the cornerstone. And on building, you put the cornerstone, and that is the basis of the foundation. And if the cornerstone is good, everything is good. So we need to make Jesus our cornerstone. So what if you've never made Jesus your cornerstone? Hopefully by, by looking at this, how to be blameless. The only way you can be blameless is through Christ. And as we, we saw that Christ is our sacrifice. And basically, he's talking about the law. And the law was given to show us how sinful we are. So if you have an overwhelming burden to know that you are sinful... The only way to remove that guilt is through the sacrifice of Jesus. To confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved is what the the Scripture tells us. So if you've never done that, I plead with you today, confess your, your sins to Jesus. But what about the rest of us who have confessed our sins to Jesus? I don't know about you, but I fall short. And um, in, in wrapping up, you know, we have our, our, our sins of confession. And as I said in the, in the beginning, those emotions for the Jewish believer, they knew they were going to, to the tabernacle to give their sacrifice and be right with Jesus. We as Christians, we have gone to Jesus and He is our sacrifice but we're still to live a life of repentance. It's not a one and done. We always need to to, uh, work out our salvation with that fear and trembling. So if you've been convicted this morning of, of anything that the Word of God has said about gossip, have you ever gossiped recently? Have you spoke badly of another? I'll be honest with you. You know, something convicts me is um, we're, we're to be men of integrity 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just not on Sunday. But sometimes when you get to work and the other guys are a little, you know, little mouthy, do you ever join in in that being a little mouthy? I was convicted of that. How about gossip? Well, did you see what so-and-so did? And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, Women have more problems with gossip. Guys have more problems with when, when they get around other guys and want to be part of the crowd. That's, what it, that's not what it means to be a man of integrity. Have you not kept your word recently? That's easy to do. Be a man of integrity. How about your money? Are you, inte- are you uh, have integrity with your money? Not only your personal money, how about at work? Oh, I need some pins at home. They won't, they won't miss this, this packet of pins. Is that a man of integrity? So as we close today, I just want you to ask yourself those things. But when we come together at the end of all this, Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And I could read Psalm 15. Let's just read it again and put it all in the context. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? 
He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against a friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus did walk this perfect life. We thank you that Jesus is blameless. He is the one who walked blamelessly for us. He is the one that shows us what to do is right. He is the one who gives us a new heart. And I can speak truth in that heart. Help each and every one of us guard our hearts this morning and throughout the week, Lord. Your word promises us that if we fall short in these areas, all we need to do is confess to you and you will cleanse us. And as far as the east is from the west, we have been cleansed. So we thank you for that, Lord. Help us to go forward this week to walk integrity, not just this week, but forevermore. And we just ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you've confessed your sins, God is faithful in our our final verse to show that is Titus 3.5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal, renewal of the Holy Spirit. Amen.